this evening, even though we are today celebrating the, the Feast of uh, the Epiphany, the readings today will be taken from really the great event of Pentecost. This doesn't mean that I'm uh, liturgically mixed up, although I probably am, but it simply means that this, this passage was picked in terms of the sequence of trying to look at the way in which as we live our life in the church, we need to say, how can we be stewards of God's mysteries in our life together as disciples of Jesus Christ? And obviously a very central part of that is the fact that we are called to go forth by the power of the Holy Spirit to let the light of Christ shine in this world. We know that our Lord, uh, right at the, at the ascension, he said, he promised that the Holy Spirit would be given to the church and that his disciples would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, right to the ends of the earth. And that's our mission. And so that will be the, the theme of the passage today from the Acts of the Apostles. I think it's appropriate, particularly in these days in the life of the church, I just thought of this, I was praying over these uh, passages, uh, this portion of scripture earlier today, it speaks to every age of the church. And yet I think maybe we're thinking about some struggles the church is facing in these days. But just look at the first two chapters of the Acts of the Apostles and the whole of the Acts of the Apostles, which are in a sense, you might call the golden age of the church. You might think this is the way we're meant to be, filled with the fire of Pentecost. And yet what we find at the very beginning we have the Lord giving his final commission to his disciples. Then he's taken up to the heavenly father. The angels say, don't look up into heaven. You go forth and follow the mission. As soon as they return, they're praying together as a community and their first order of business, the very first thing in the Acts of the Apostles once they return from the ascension is to find a replacement for Judas. And there is a uh, lengthy description of the death of Judas. And the reality hits home before we're even halfway through the first chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, that the missionaries and the martyrs of the witnesses of Christ are going forth into a world, and yet they're going forth into a world when they themselves are experiencing the power of iniquity right in the heart of the church because Judas was not a successor of the apostles. Judas was an apostle himself, chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ personally. And so after they have dealt with that profound reality of evil, so central in the life, uh, the experience of the life of the church in that time, and down sadly down through history, then they choose a replacement. And what we see there they're building up the structure of the church because the church is apostolic. There are only 11 apostles and we need one to replace Judas because the 12 apostles represent the 12 tribes of Israel, the new Israel that the Lord has founded. That has to be set in place before the church begins down through history. So they do that. Well, it's interesting, Matthias is chosen. We never hear of him again in the whole New Testament. He's, that's it. But he has fulfilled his role. The structure is complete again. As it says in the book of Revelation, the 12 apostles are the foundation stones of the new Jerusalem. 
And so one rejected, another replaced. It goes in there. Then after that, we come to a different dimension of our life as a community in Christ. You have to have the structure, just like the body has to have the bones. But just with the bones, we're, we're nothing. We're just dry. We're a skeleton. So we have to have the breath. We have to have the life. We have to have the fire of vitality. And so the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, the 12 apostles, Our Lady, 120 others, the whole community together, receives the power structured on the apostles, but filled with the Holy Spirit to move outward. And we have all that thing, which is the nightmare of every reader on Pentecost with people from Parthians, Medes, Alamites, and people from Cyrene and so on. It's a long list of names, but it is a list which speaks to the outward thrust of the church. Here they are, a little group punkered down there in Jerusalem, no more than 120. And they're called not to just sort of pull together, having fixed the structural problem of Judas and having received the Holy Spirit, they're called to move outward. That's the vitality, that's the fire of the Holy Spirit. That's the breath of life. That's what we are meant to be. That's the church of Jesus Christ. And so we need together the bones, the structure, the breath, the life, the vitality, the fire, all of it in the name of the Lord Jesus, energized by the power of the Holy Spirit, homeward bound on our way to the heavenly Father. And then Peter, first of the apostles, then begins to speak to the people about what has happened and about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the center of our life. Now that is it. That's who we are meant to be as a church. That is the real thing. And when we fall short of it, as we see the necessary repair job done in the first chapter of Acts, when we get that done, as it must be done, we're moving forward again. That's the model, not just for the church 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem and the Mediterranean. That is the model for us now. So as we model and as we pray about this passage of Scripture, let us not look just past or even future. Let's look to the present moment. This is how we're meant to be as a parish, as a diocese, as the universal church. And when we're not, literally, God help us, and God will. But we've got to be sure that we know who we are. That's our identity. If we lose that, we're in deep trouble. So let's meditate now upon the words of sacred scripture. I'll go a little beyond chapter 2, verse 13, um, simply because I don't want to end off tonight with just people saying that the, the apostles are drunk. I thought that might not be the most um, edifying way to end. But the trouble is I couldn't figure, there's a long speech by St. Peter, which would take a long time to pray. So I'll just go a little bit beyond it which sort of has, I think there's another kind of natural ending that kind of brings it to a more felicitous conclusion. And so, let us enter into Lexio Divina. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's let go of all those worries and cares which so distract us, weigh us down, block us from focusing on our love of God and neighbor, from being attentive to hearing what God says to us. 
Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. May all those sins that darken our hearts and minds, that form a barrier on the pathway of the Lord to our hearts, may they be taken away. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And so after the death of Judas, the apostles decided to choose another. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justus, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was enrolled with the 11 apostles. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire, distributed and resting on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and wondered, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. But all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Yes, and on my men servants and my maid servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and the vapor of smoke. 
and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and manifest day. And it shall be that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so as we meditate upon these words of sacred scripture, as always we say, what does it say to my head, to my heart, to my hands? What do these words say to my head that I may know the Lord and may understand more deeply the mysteries of faith? What does it say to my heart that I may love the Lord more fully, that I may be on fire with the power of the Holy Spirit, that I may truly love the Lord? And what does it say to my hands that I will actually do something, do something to make this not simply a thought in the mind or an aspiration of the heart, but action in my life, to know, to love, to serve. That's why we're here. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. They needed to find a replacement for the traitor. And it needed to be someone, not necessarily with a PhD in theology, that was not really required. But what was needed is that that person could be a witness to the resurrection. And that's what's needed in those who are ordained and those who are confirmed and those who are baptized. What we do in our life is we witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the central thing. And, and we are benefiting we, all the time from the apostolic tradition that comes down to us through the ages in written form, crystallized in language in the sacred scriptures, but in the living faith of the church, of those who were with him from the baptism of the Jordan until he was taken up from us. There is that necessity to be grounded in the life, the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. That's we must be grounded in that. And then we are witnesses to the ends of the earth and wherever we are living here in our own particular situation in life. It's that knowledge, not only of doctrine, of who he is, but to know the Lord Jesus, to be witnesses to Christ, to be immersed in his life, to meet him. So one of the men who have accompanied us to be with us, living with us all the time, during all the time. We can't dip in and out of our faith. During all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Let's ask the Lord to help us to be in touch with the life that comes through the apostolic tradition, going right back to those people who were with the Lord from the moment of his calling out by, the, the Saint, by John the Baptist in the heavenly voice for the Father. This is my beloved son, listen to him, right to the time when he was lifted up 
and then sent the Holy Spirit among us. How do we do that? Let's read the Word of God, especially the Gospels. Remember, there's a great book, which may be fiction, may not be, maybe a journal, called The Way of a Pilgrim. And the pilgrim searching, searching always for how to pray, and he comes ultimately to value the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But he comes upon a soldier, an elderly soldier, been there for many years, who had lived a wild life, but had taken upon himself this custom, this practice of constantly reading the gospel, constantly, constantly reading the gospel. And he said, I'll imitate him in that. And so should we. Let's do that. Let's just have, you know, shall we say, I have a red Bible because the Bible should be read. So let's just do that constantly. Pickled in the word of God, marinated in the word of God. We need to be like the one to fulfill, to fill out the way of the apostles. We need to be people who are witnesses to Christ. Let's ask the Lord to help us be that way. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was enrolled with the 11 apostles. This choice of restoring the apostolic integrity of the 12 apostles, this is something which they did some thinking about. There was some tests, some criteria. Who among us has been there from the beginning right through? And two of them of the 120 met the qualification. But then it says, Lord Jesus, you read the hearts. You choose this point, which one it will be. Either one of them would have been, no doubt, a faithful apostle, but this is the one, Matthias is the one chosen. And having heard of him, we never hear of him again. However, he filled the void. Now the 12 apostles, the 12 cornerstones of the heavenly Jerusalem, his name is on a cornerstone of the heavenly city Jerusalem, which is our home. This place we're in is just simply, we're passing through. We just staying overnight in a seedy motel while we're on our way home. This is, that's all, this, this particular world we're in right now. And he became the 12th apostle. And it's interesting, not himself directly chosen by Jesus, but chosen by those who were chosen by Jesus. Apostolic succession is important. There is a structure which comes from the Lord, even though from time to time, some of those engaged in that are, they let us down and they, that's, a, and that's something which anyone who has been ordained has to think about a lot, to be faithful, faithful. Remember the seminary I went to a couple of years ago when I was a seminarian, we had a prayer at the end of every day, we go into the chapel and pray among other things, we sing a hymn to Our Lady, but we pray that those who have been ordained may be found faithful in fulfilling the office committed to them, the office of apostle. 
So now that has been done. But when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. When the day of Pentecost, the 50 days after the Passover had come, they were together. That's important for us. We're not little canoes adrift on the Atlantic. We're part of the city of God on earth. We're meant to be all together in one place. That's why we're here. That's why we come together for mass every Sunday. It's not enough unless we're forced, we're sick or something like that to be off on our own. But wherever possible, we need to be all together in one place. We are the body, the body of Christ. We need to come together. And when we are in that position, suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributed and resting on each one of them they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance and suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting the rush of a mighty wind. It came from heaven, not from them. A mighty wind like the heavens, the, the power of God over the chaos at the beginning of creation. It is the Lord coming to them, the Holy Spirit of God sent to them that they might be witnesses to the ends of the earth. This does not fit into a pigeonhole this does not fit into a structure organizational chart. They've got the structure set again by choosing the 12th apostle. But now you move to a different level. It is the Lord himself sending the Holy Spirit who fills them with something you can't grasp and touch, but has the power to do everything, like a mighty wind. That's what we need to be attentive to, the power of God. It filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributed and resting in each one of them. Fire. We must become fire. Both wind and fire cannot be easily contained, and yet they can do great good. They are power and energy and new life. And we have to think as we gather together as a church, in a parish, a diocese, a universal church? Where is the wind? Where is the fire? Where it is there, let us seek it out. Let us say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful. Enkindle in us the fire of your love. When the church loses that, when the fire of holiness goes out in some place, then the lights go out and we become frigid and cold. It's no surprise that Dante has at the bottom of hell not fire, but ice. That's the doom, ice, coldness. We need to be on fire with the love of God. Come Holy Spirit. That's why I think, you know, in just sort of a bishopy kind of thought, that, uh, you know, when I'm looking over, I think any bishop would think this, maybe a pastor thought, you're looking over the community and so on. You want to find where is the fire? Where is the fire? 
Where is the Spirit of God visible and vibrant? And let's be like that. Let's search it out the way the Magi searched through the star for the Messiah. We've got to be careful that within the church, both in a local area, in parish, in diocese, and in the universal church, where's the fire? Where's the Spirit of God powerfully manifest where people gather together? That's where we should go. That's what should guide the church. That's the star that guides us as surely as the star guided the wise men to Jesus. We really should be very careful that we don't let anything else guide us. It must be that, holiness individually and in the community. And sometimes I think we can all kind of forget about that. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know, many times I think of this little story from the old days and, uh, you know, I've told it many times. But anyway, here it goes again, because I think it's a good one. You know, the, the young monk, the old monk, you always have that. And the young monk says, I've done all the things. I've built the structures. I've followed the rules, done all of that. And yet I'm lacking in something. I don't feel it's together. Something's missing. And the old monk stretches out his hands, flames shoot out of his fingers, and he says, you must become fire. Like, that's it. We can't just be mediocre. In the Second Vatican Council's document of the church, there's no universal call to mediocrity or to self-indulgence or to entitlement or to anything like that, and certainly not to iniquity. There is a universal call to holiness. We have to say, Lord, help us to be consumed by that because that's what we're called to do. Let's pray for a moment the Lord help us. Forgive us our sins where we have been cold and dark and harsh. Fill us with your love and your fire, and the power of the Spirit. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together They were bewildered because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were amazed and wondered, saying, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. These are people from all over the known world. Just like early on in the book of Genesis around chapter 10, there's a list of all kinds of strange names that we don't know what they are. That's why if people make a New Year's resolution to read a chapter a day of the Bible, Around January the 10th, they give up because they have all these names and names and names. What is it? Well, what it is, these are meant to be strange names. These are the names of the people all over the world, not our own little comfortable place that we know about, we're comfortable with, we're in control of, but places strange and marvelous. That's where God's mercy reaches. That's where he reaches out to. 
Remember, anything we can control is not worth it. We're called, you know, the boat is safest in the harbor. That's not what boats are for. They're meant to be out on the open sea. We cannot become mediocre, inward turning, caught up in the cares and the standards of this world. We've got to get beyond that. And that means that we can't become the church that kind of closes in on itself. We have to reach outward always. It's that missionary spirit. Sometimes I think, especially maybe in our own society here, we get kind of beaten down by the secularist attack. But we need to not get caught up in that. We first of all got to go deep to the sources of the fire of the Lord, really go deep in our life of prayer. We need to be together to work. They were together in one place when the Holy Spirit came upon them, not isolated little islands. That's why sometimes it's good to have these grand celebrations because people who feel they're alone in their own native habitat where they're doing the daily work, they realize I'm not the only one who has faith. So we can catch the fire from one another and spread it to others. That's why, of course, the great ceremony of our liturgy is where the lonely Easter candle comes in the darkened church. And as the fire is given away, it spreads through the whole church and we're bright with the light of Christ. And so all these people, Elamites and Cyrene and Phrygia and Pamphylia and all the rest, we need to proclaim the Lord that missionary spirit must reach outward, including to our own area. We may not be called to go to distant lands, but we're called to have that missionary spirit here and to realize that when people unfamiliar with the Lord experience the fire of the Holy Spirit, experience the faith as it really is, not watered down, diluted, to make it pleasing, which it never is. But when they experience the real thing, the fire spreads, it, it, people are astonished by it. Just right now, as I'm speaking right now, or at least earlier today, there are 18,000 university students in a big, huge arena in the United States in adoration before our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament praising God in a gathering of university students. And we see that at the Steubenville Conference that we have in Oshawa, it's a smaller scale, but several thousand high school students together. When we see the real thing presented, the fire spreads to everyone. And so we must not measure out our faith in tiny little teaspoons. We need to have this zeal. Not that it has to be flashy, but it needs to be deep, persistent, especially in the world we're living in. Astute as well, because God gives us our heads to recognize how we can spread the faith, but it needs to be real. And what will the response be? All were amazed and perplexed, saying that one another, what does this mean? Just as after Peter's speech, the next section of this, the Acts of Apostles, people say, what shall we do? But also, 
Others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. So we should expect that. We should not be surprised or stopped in our tracks if the world says to us, you're drunk. Look at the good old Paul. He got a razzle-dazzle speech in the Areopagus in Athens trying to kind of impress or get through to the academics of Athens. Some of them, a few listened. Most of them said, we'll hear about that another day and walked away. Well, look at our Lord himself. So we should not be, again, measuring by secular yardsticks. We're in here for the long haul. We're on our way to the heavenly Jerusalem. And so we need to have that as our perspective and context. And we need to catch, be deep into the sources of that. And so Peter, standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Peter. Peter is the head of the church on earth, the leader delegated by the Lord. Peter is the representative of the Lord to be the source of unity. Peter is the one who presented the two candidates. And so he has a special grace of office. That's why we should always pray for our Holy Father, the Pope, for God to guide him and bless him in the profound office and responsibility which he has received to unite to be the source and sign, to be not the source of unity, but the sign of unity as the representative, as the vicar of Christ for the whole world. We need to pray for him, not only at every mass, but all the time. Pray for our Holy Father, that he will be faithful in fulfilling the office committed to him. It is a heavy duty. And Peter seeks earnestly to fulfill it, as we know in the sacred scriptures. Peter, standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Well, that's a good reason, I guess. It's only nine o'clock. They're not drunk yet. <laughs> I guess it's possible to be drunk early on in the morning, but anyway, that was the argument he used. But he goes more profoundly, <laughs> goes deeper than that. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Again, the prophet. There's the prophet and the sage. The sage is the wise person, and that's essential. We have to know, think clearly, judge wisely, be prudent and use good judgment. But the prophet is there as well. It's just like there's the structure and then there's the fire. There's the bones and then there's the breath. All these must be together. Which is more important? Yes, they have to be there. But the prophetic drives the church. And, Saint, and the prophet Joel said, in these last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Yes, and on my men servants and my maid servants in these days, 
I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and manifest day. And it shall be that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And here St. Peter puts it all in the context of the second coming of Christ as we live our whole life in that context. The reason we're called to have that deep, profound faith is that we're not nestling here, settling in to this passing valley of tears, this temporary stopping place, this runway on the journey home. But we're waiting for the coming of the Lord in glory. And that's why when we become attracted addicted to things which are passing, whether it be power, prestige, approval by the secular world, or whatever, structures that hum along but are lifeless, when we become caught up in that and lose the perspective of the second coming of Christ, then we are missing what it's all about. And that leads also to immorality in the lives of each one of us, our sins, our signs that we becoming, we're imploding into our own ego, into this world, and not being attentive to what will we say to him on that day of great glory, day of wrath, the day of glory, when he asks us, have you loved the Lord your God with heart and mind and soul? Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? That's what we have to think about in the church. Holiness and a repentant spirit preparing for the day of the Lord. That's what he calls us to, nothing less than that. And I think as we, you know, these days you hear about so many struggles in the church and all kinds of anger and people fighting one another. You know, you know we've got to go beyond this. We're called, each one of us, to holiness. We're called to the purification of the whole church, all of us. We're called to deal with any Judas figures. Ask God to help in that, to be the one through whom that happens. And look at our own mirror, look at ourselves. When have I betrayed the Lord? Each one of us needs to ask that. And not lose hope, as Judas did. But imitate Peter, not that we can imitate him in his sacred mission, but imitate him in his repentance when he shed those tears and he said, Lord, you know I love you. That's what we imitate. For the Lord built his whole church upon a broken rock, made strong not by his own power, but by the grace of God alone. It was rock, though, not sand. It was rock. And it came from Christ. It's really good to read the Acts of the Apostles at any time. Maybe especially these first two chapters. May we learn from them. May we live them, each one of us.
And so after the death of Judas, one of the apostles said, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was enrolled with the 11 apostles. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind. It had filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributed and resting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and wondered, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Yes, and on my men servants and my maidservants in these days, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and the signs on the earth beneath blood and fire and the vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and manifest day. And it shall be that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.